to another episode of Just a Quick Pinch. I'm your host, Connie Wang. And I'm back after missing an episode. Uh, still, your am I? Do I get to call myself a co-host? Well, I actually wanted to introduce to them the new name for us. Uh, it's actually been a name I've wanted to use for us for a while. So Jimmy and I, from further notice, we will be known as the Hippocratic Oaths. Uh, I don't know. I, I it's a play on Hippocratic Oath. Wait, the Hippocratic Oath. Oath. <laughs> that's an oaf move right yeah. there so the hippocratic oaths basically came to mind when i wanted to do a play on the hippocratic oath that everyone says when they do their little white coat ceremony it's the like i will do no harm yada 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 thing that we say um but jimmy and i are a little silly so and we always like to call each other oafs when we like goof up like when would be a good you would call we would call ourselves an oaf if you like trip over something yeah yeah you just like trip over like your shoe or something yeah you know, classic oaf move break a dish oaf. leave the freezer door open oaf, oaf. <laughs> so basically we are your hippocratic oafs um i always thought maybe someday if we ever did a spin-off podcast with jimmy it'd be called hippocratic oafs but basically um i'm just securing the name for us right now so she just wants it out there in the world yeah i just and I, if being called an oaf is something that anyone finds offensive wait i should look i should have looked this up before hang on oaf or clumsy person is okay. the word oaf offensive it definitely is. it says it's derogatory but we're you we're kind of like reclaiming it yeah we're we're rebranding the and term and like we're oaf. doing it in like kind of an endearing way we're like like we just People do dumb things. And we're doing it in a way where, like, we're, we're not hating on the oafs. We're one of them. We are yeah, an oaf. we're celebrating we're such just dum-dums that are a little uncultured. We're, we're celebrating oafs everywhere. Because we're, like, you know. Well, like, not even uncultured. Look, we're just, yeah, like, yeah. clumsy. Yeah. We're, we're just clumsy. Let's just leave it at that. Jimmy and I are just clumsy. We're Hippocratic clumsy oafs. Anyways, you guys, welcome back to another episode. Your Hippocratic oafs are here. Uh, I hope you guys have all been having a good weekend so far. It's a nice long weekend for Indigenous Peoples Day. That's today that we're filming on Monday. Yeah, so without further ado, Jimmy, it's time for the Hot Girl Huddle. Hit it, editing Connie. Alrighty, you guys, first things first for the healthcare horoscopes. Let me shuffle these cards. Is it my turn to pick? I think it's your turn to pick since I've been picking for a while. What are you hoping this week brings? Let's let's turn the tables a little. I don't know what the tarot's are. But like, if you had to hope for what your like goal uh, for this week would be, do you have any like work goals? Yeah, I think some like, you know, kind of productivity would be nice. Um, and then just uh, you know the energy to get through the yeah. You know, usually the four day work weeks are kind of rough because mm. uh, you're you end up doing about five days of work in four days instead. Mm. Uh, but the, I mean, the Monday off is nice. What I hope for this week is that I want to establish healthy habits because I have this week kind of off. I don't have a lot of patients booked. So I think it'll be a good week for me to like get into the swing of things for certain habits. Okay. So, Jimmy, what did you pick? Um, well, there seems to be five pentagram star type deals. Uh, Ooh. A, five, a guy with crutches. This looks like a scene from like House a, of the Dragon, like, actually. You know, that like looks like Damon. Or something. Yeah. That looks like Damon. Oh, no, no. That looks like King Viserys, actually, with the crutches. Yeah, and that's so like Damon. That I'm also. Not, not too sure. Um, they don't seem like they're doing too great. Okay. They could be some Hippocratic oafs themselves. Yeah, that one just fell down the stairs, that oaf. Yeah, he did. Bitty tarot card. Okay, per Bitty Tarot, the Five of Pentacles, upright. Oh, dear God. 
Oh, man. Oh, no. Financial loss. Poverty. Poverty black mindset. Isolation. Worry. The opposite of what we want. Are you sure you didn't make it reversed? Um, is it maybe a, a few days late or a few times late with the financial loss considering uh, that ring I had to buy? Right, right. Okay. Oh, you know, I did like, you know, make the like, you know, big kind of lump credit card payment on the ring this month and i do feel a little poor right now okay let's let's chalk it up to that and not because of all the digimon and demon slayer books you've been purchasing no those i purchased with credit card points that i <laughs> earned from buying you your big ass ring okay i'll allow it Alrighty, you guys the five of pentacles is a card of financial loss and poverty you have hit hard times especially when it comes to your work career finances and material possessions you may have recently lost your job, your home, or your financial security. You no longer feel safe because it has all been stripped away from you in one blow. One diamond-sized blow. <laughs> A couple of carrots. <laughs> uh, your ego may also be bruised, especially... Wait, my leg is bruised? Do you think that counts? No. I bumped into a table the other day. Um, your ego or leg may also be bruised, especially since success often correlates to financial wealth. Losing either can be a humbling blow to your self-esteem and sense of worth. The upside is that this is a minor arcana card with temporary effects. So this too shall pass. Okay. <laughs> In this time of need, the Five of Pentacles indicates that you feel isolated and alone. Just like the two people in the card, you feel as if you've been left in the cold. You may wonder, why is no one coming to help me? It may appear as if no one cares anymore. However, since the windows in the church are lit up, help is nearby. But you are too focused on your problems to notice. You may be waiting for someone to come and help you when really, you need to be proactive and ask for help. Oh, that reminds me, Jimmy. We have to all call maintenance to fix our cupboard um, and our AC as well. I thought they came for the AC. Um, I got no, a but remember? About it. Oh, you did. That's interesting because they didn't end up coming in. No, Ellie like barked and then they ran did away. Did they come in like another time? Oh, but you know what? Maybe they did fix it. Yeah. When we weren't here. Yeah. Hey, Ellie, did Ellie. did one of the uh, service guys come in? Oh, she's minutes? ignoring us. She we 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 put a cover on her. She's all swaddled up. She's she's really tired. She had a long week. So update. So I do need to fix the cover at least still, right? But yeah, the cover okay. would be nice. Okay. Um, moving on. You need to swallow your pride and let go of your fear of rejection and reach out. Okay. Something. Is there anything you uh, feel like you need help with? Uh, happy to help. I think the cover is basically it. People are here to support you. Find them and let them know you need them. Ooh, okay. I can find a positive spin for this, you guys. I have been meaning to spend one of these um, next coming days off from school to reach out to more podcast guests. Speaking of which, if you guys have anyone that you guys want to hear from on the podcast, send me a DM at Dr. Connie Wang on Instagram or at Just a Quick Pinch on Instagram. I check both of those accounts or leave an Apple review podcast for who you guys want to see as a guest. Uh, do you see how I flip that? Yeah, Impressive, yeah. right? I think we should talk about this lack mindset too. Okay, yes. At times, the Five of Pentacles highlights a lack mindset. You're sabotaging your ability to create abundance because you only focus on what you lack. All you can see is what's going wrong, so to shift this energy, look for evidence of what you do have, even if it's very small or seemingly insignificant, and express your gratitude for those blessings in your life. Over time, the positive aspects will continue to grow, and soon lack and not having will be a thing of the past. That makes sense. You know, I was having some lack mindset because uh, one of the toys that I ordered uh, from Hasbro, uh, <laughs> the, a shipping label was created on September 1st. Oh, jeez. He has it the is, dates. It is, uh, it is October 10th right oh now, God. people. I got billed for this on September 1st. I still don't have it. And 
uh, Hasbro is not very good at customer service because they haven't replied to my customer service request from about three weeks ago. I'm putting you on blast on this podcast. Do you think maybe you should reach out to Hasbro again? I, I actually wanted to call them in the car today. I forgot to. Um, I like how this podcast is basically always just a running list of our tasks. <laughs> and like the people that listening to actually, this are like, okay, Jim and Connie, mm-hmm. hey, if you guys could help like remind us, that would be helpful. Yeah. You on know, Instagram. Like, like share like our to-do list yeah. to us like via like a story remind or something. Me. Like just, every time. Just tag us. Yeah. Every time I'm posting on my story like morning coffee, this is my lunch meal prep, be like, no, Connie. Instead, you should call the maintenance guy to fix the cupboard. How about that? Or tell Jimmy to call hasbro again um so anyways oh I want my four, this is 140 dollars back you spent 140 dollars for a blue ranger power yeah talk about lack mindset now <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah we're not lacking much i don't uh, know <laughs> um now i'm now i really think we're in lack uh okay similarly this is the last paragraph you guys the five of pentacles suggests that you fear you don't have enough or you may lose something important to you like those $140, <laughs> even if it hasn't happened yet or is unlikely. For example, you may live in fear that you will lose your job and be left in the streets with no home and no support. If you stay focused on all the negative things that might happen, then be careful because your manifesting powers may start to create the outcomes that you don't want. Oh, bars, honestly. <laughs> instead, oh my God, instead redirect your attention to what you have now and what you want in the future so your manifesting powers get used for good. That's good. You Maybe know, you can like look at your rangers that you do uh-huh. have and like kind of manifest that that blue ranger is coming to you. Well, I'm trying to manifest it uh by peppering hasbro's email with mm. uh just constant like hello haven't heard back yet hello haven't heard back <laughs> just checking in i've done that a, like three circling or four back. times at this point yeah just circling back you sound like one of those like corporate people i don't know, know like you know like if you if you're supposed to be servicing your customer i'm paying them an extra 50 dollars a month to get premium like premium access to new toys and stuff so I really didn't need to hear all of this. <laughs> Anyways, that's all we have for healthcare horoscopes today. Let's move on to journal club before I cry. Alrighty, you guys, this week for journal club, I thought this was a fun prompt because lately my prompts have been very, uh, how do I say, shadow work, <laughs> very doom and gloom. But this one's a fun one because I think it's a way to reflect and also think about something more lighthearted. What? is your favorite trait in someone that you immediately meet like what's someone what's something that when you meet someone right away you enjoy that about like meeting someone so for me personally i'll go first so for me personally okay so how i know that i like someone right away when i like immediately first meet them is if someone is able to be like vulnerable and have like a slightly like self-deprecating sense of humor but not in like a self like a super sad kind of way i guess in this sense is if they're able to be vulnerable and find the humor in that vulnerability i just really like people that like aren't like don't have a guard about them and aren't super like uptight like i like just you know what it is i think i like when people don't take themselves too seriously because that's like kind of how i am like i feel like if you can make a joke about yourself and about the world then that's something and also in my opinion sense of humor is like the highest sense of uh the highest sign of intelligence so i just think that if you can make a good funny joke don't have to be super vulgar just like a mundane joke about life and yourself that's a win in my book what about you jimmy uh pretty similar i think in uh a kind of sense of humor vein i think i lean in more towards less the vulnerability and more someone that's able to kind of like build on a conversation and like have fun like wow like, and kind of like a riff and you know build up some good stuff with it 
Uh, and I think that's, you know, that reminds me of when I met you. Yeah. Back, way back when. Jimmy and I always say, like, our favorite thing about each other is riffability. Like, I want to be friends with and, like, with be with Jimmy because, like, I like people that give me something. Like, if I give you a joke, I want you to make this joke better. Like, riff on it. So mm. if I'm like, oh, my gosh, that turtle is, like, green. They're, like, so green, right? It's, like, it reminds me of this. And I'm like, yeah, like, just take it a little further, you know? Exactly. Like, give me something. Yeah, it kind of felt like the first time that we, like, had, like, a long conversation, like, we were just creating, like, weird little, like, fantasy land, kind of, yeah. like, Adventure Time-esque uh, kind of, yeah, like, storylines, and uh, we've been doing it ever since. It's, okay, this is the best way I can describe it, is, like, if you talk to someone that has riffability, it's kind of like if you're reading them a storybook, and then they turn the page and add, like, another level to the story. Whereas if you say a joke to someone, and they're like, haha, yeah, they basically just, like, closed the book in your face. Like, they didn't, like, offer anything, and they ended it right there. Exactly. So that's kind of what I seek in all of my friendships. Uh, I think most of my friends kind of meet that criteria. Um, yeah. And if you wish we were closer, then uh, and step it up. And with us. <laughs> we're like, be better. <laughs> Just be better. Are our standards too high? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I think we're just too uh, too funny for the world, huh? Yeah. Can't be tamed. Yeah. Can't be tamed. Us Hippocratic Oaths. Anyways, that's all we have this week for Journal Club. Now on to Spit Talk. Alrighty, you guys, this week for Spit Talk. So Jimmy and I, we actually went home to Jimmy's hometown of Ocean City, New Jersey. Uh, We went on Friday night late, got in around midnight. It was probably one of the longest car rides of our lives. Um, yep, I drove most of it. Uh, Connie decided she doesn't like to drive in the dark. It's just um, so hard to see the lines. And then by yeah. the time you hear the noise that you're like on the side, it's like too late, you know? Is it? <laughs> I, she just doesn't know how to like just go straight and be in the center. I really do not. I think concerning. she thinks that her in the driver's seat should be dead center of the lane, yeah. which puts me in harm's way. <laughs> But it just occurred to me. Is that what you've been doing? It just occurred to me that that is not correct. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I. That's why, like, you're like, you're like, stop yelling at me for this. I'm like, and I, I was like, am no, you're middle. doing horrific things. <laughs> I've never been worried realized. about getting sideswiped more in my life, and like. She's an okay driver. I just She's really, driven before. What? No, I'm a bad driver. Um, I just realized just because I'm in the middle doesn't really doesn't mean that everyone's in the middle. <laughs> you want the car in the middle, not you. Okay, but also, like, you guys know what I mean? In the dark, when we were driving at night on Friday night, like, there were so many lights in my eyes, and my eyes were getting kind of, like, blurry, and, like, all the lights were blending together, and I felt like I couldn't see, and, like, it was, like, scary. Meanwhile, I do that drive all the time in the dark. And no, I see, you're proficient in it. That's like a new thing for me. Um, but anyway, okay. so we got there safe and sound Saturday morning. You guys, we had such a like, the only way I can describe it is Saturday felt like a Gilmore Girls day in the sense that like we woke up. It was such a quaint little day. Like Jimmy and I um, took the dogs on a walk and then we walked over to the like neighborhood, like the town block party. Yeah, it was the Ocean City block party weekend. If you know, you know. If you it's don't like, know, then get into it. 
it's like eight blocks of small vendors so we walked and got i got like a hot like holiday fall pumpkin latte and we sipped it and walked around looking at vendors like i felt like i was in gilmore girls and then like the little townspeople were like all doing their own thing we helped your mom like yeah we walked over to the church did some manual labor yeah because his mom was volunteering for the church church. it's just it was so cute and wholesome um a couple friends yeah i don't know my favorite part of the weekend was that block party just because i just felt so inspired by like all the small businesses that were like they had their little stands there were like three of the same boutique called tada 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 is doing like a great job whoever that owner is empire yeah no it's like a empire i was like oh that's like kind of a cute chic like cardigan it like it was a little chewy but it was cute and then i saw it again and then i was like wow they're like really doing good and the third time i saw it i was like is this town like sponsored by tada like what is going on yeah and it wasn't like just like three like booths it was like three brick and mortar locations like yeah no they're doing very well within blocks of each other though it's very confusing if they ever like allow us to buy stock i think i would invest stock in tada i don't think I support them. So, yeah, anyways, I just feel always super inspired by, like, small businesses because I'm like, wow, like, you can make a whole living off of selling pickles. Here's the thing is I often wonder, are they making a living? Someone's living off of these pickles. Uh, I don't know. I think someone's maybe, like, you know, buying lunch every once in a while off of these pickles. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I was just inspired uh yeah jimmy what was your favorite part of the weekend um i think my favorite part was we took ellie to the beach like the beach proper for the first time mm-hmm. um, and we let her run around she got to go in the ocean a little bit and she was just having a blast i've never seen her happier and i've never seen her run faster i know it just makes me so excited for someday when we like live on a beach jimmy and i really want to move to california next year and could you just imagine her like running on the beach in the mornings Oh, yeah. And it not being freezing cold, like. And I guess we've been kind of sleeping on the Boston area beaches, but, like, when you think beach, I don't think you think Boston. Yeah, no, the Boston, especially the Southie beaches, like, I feel like when you think of beach, you think of, like, sand, seashells. You don't think of, like, crushed white claw cans and, like, (laughs) Southie boy, like, cigarettes on the ground. Crushed uh, Bud Lights. Oh, yeah, or those. But, uh, yeah, no, it's kind of, I, you know, I don't know if the you beach is actually like that. We I should give it a we're chance. we're kind of making a lot of yes, assumptions. we are. Never been. So, Never been. Uh, Why don't we go and then update everyone next week on how the Southie beaches sounds are. Sounds good. Yeah, for those of you guys that don't know, Southie is kind of like the typical, like, college or, like, after you graduated from college but still are in your college glory days and can't move on. Also That's one, where everyone lives. <laughs> also the home of uh, the former, you know, kind of Irish mob, uh, Whitey Bulger, all that kind of stuff culture yeah culture (laughs) so anyways that is all we have this week for the hot girl huddle you guys i think this week's episode this week's main episode at least is one of the best episodes i've ever done if not the best episode uh simply because the guest was absolutely incredible i say i've done it wasn't me it was all this guest this guest was so good she had the best answers um i joked with jimmy it kind of feels like you guys are sitting in on a therapy session to be honest i was a little bit more vulnerable with you guys than usual um i do feel kind of nervous for everyone to hear all this just because i'm like releasing all my deep dark secrets and childhood trauma but i think you know what it will help someone i had a conversation with this guest afterwards um i don't know why i keep saying this guest as if like 
I can't release it. Okay, so the guest that I have is Miss Masha K. Masha is an incredible holistic health, um, well, specifically a nervous system and breathwork coach. Uh, she is excellent at what she does, you guys. Like, even after this one and a half hour conversation with her, I left feeling like a completely new person. I honestly, I do feel like a new person after this conversation. Um, and yeah, I just think that she's really going to help you guys a lot. I was talking to her after the episode and I was like, I'm kind of nervous for everyone to hear this because they're just hearing like my deepest, darkest secrets. And I feel like I'm like just showing all my cards to you guys. Uh, but she said that, you know what? Oh, this was another thing. I said, I feel kind of anxious to release this because in some ways when I feel like I talk so much about myself and my goals and my aspirations, sometimes I feel like I'm like, it kind of feels like I'm talking about myself too much in a way. It's just like me, 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 like almost like braggy in a sense, maybe because I was raised to like not talk about yourself so much, which to my parents horror, I started a podcast all about myself, um, and exposing myself. Uh, just kidding. They, Actually, they don't know about the podcast, I don't think, so maybe it could be horror. Um, I'm sure they're very proud of me. Yeah, I just felt like I was revealing too much, but then I was talking to Masha about it, and Masha was like, is it possible that maybe, like, this is gonna help people out there, like, feel seen and heard, and, like, it's gonna resonate with someone, and it's really gonna help someone. So, in that sense, I feel okay with releasing this to the world. So, without further ado, here is my favorite episode with Masha K. I hope you guys enjoy. It's a long one, and in fact, we're actually doing a part two after this, so you're gonna hear more from her. But for now, here is part one. Alrighty, you guys, I'm so excited. Today I have Miss Masha K with us. Masha is a certified holistic health and breathwork coach, actually, which is super cool. Um, she actually has really made a niche for herself in dentistry, which I think is actually amazing. <laughs> uh, we can go into that a little bit. Um, but Masha, welcome to the show. I'm just curious if you could just give my audience a little background on like how you got into this career, per se, and yeah, how your experience has been with being a coach. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to have this conversation. And yeah, the story of how I got into this, I think is a little bit unexpected for people because my background is not really in this. So I went to college and double majored in actuarial science and economics. So my background is much more in finance than anything. And so that's where I started my career. I interned, I got the job, taking my actuarial exams. And then a few years into that profession, which is highly coveted. I really, when I decided to do it, it was basically because I was like, I'm good at math. What should you do if you're good at math? You should be an actuary. And so I kind of made that choice without much thought. And a few years into the career, I just honestly had a little bit of a quarter life crisis of like, what am I doing here? Like, this can't be my life. And I realized that everyone around me loved what they were doing and they were excited and they were talking about how they want to be there 25 years in retirement of 401ks. And I was like, I could not care less about this or any of this. I just like taking math tests like that. That's it. That's the only part of this I liked. So I had a little bit of a quarter life crisis where I was like, I don't know what I like or who I am. This is all I know. This is all I've always been good at. And so at that point, I didn't really know what else to do. I didn't even know what career I could go into. Like, again, this was truly the one thing that I knew I was good at. So I just got into health in general. I got interested in like physical health, eating, working out, things like that. And I just kind of tried to, okay, how do I make myself feel better while I'm really struggling in this 
point in my life where I really don't know where to go. I'm just going to focus on feeling better. And so as I got into that, I also got into, you know, once you start getting to physical health, you're like, wait, there's mental health. Like, what about that? And so you start exploring it and you start seeing the connections and how you start feeling better. And so it's a little bit of a, of a black hole that you start going into, like getting into wellness and health. And I think that's really where it started for me. And then after a few years, um, maybe a year or two of that, I decided to change jobs. But again, I really didn't know what else to do. So I just stayed in finance and I just went into fashion. So working for a fashion company, I thought that would be more enjoyable, kind of got off the actuarial path, but still in finance and stayed there for a few years. I loved it. It was a really fun work environment. Everyone was wonderful, met some great people. But during that time, I knew like, this is not going to be my career. And again, I don't know what is. So I'm going to spend these years. And it was like very nine to five job. That's why I picked it. Like I'll have free time, which I didn't at my last job. Um, and I continued kind of exploring. And during that time, I was already pretty into wellness. I decided to get a coaching certification, not to actually coach, but just because I was taking a bunch of like online classes on like plant-based eating and all these different things and healing gut health. So I take the certification and then halfway through, I'm like, wait a second, I actually think I could do this. And I like this. And it kind of clicked in my head that like during all these years, I had also been tutoring. I tutored for 15 years, tutored math, and I loved tutoring. That's why I did it every weekend. And I was like, wait, I think I just like teaching. Like, I think that's what I enjoyed, not the math, the teaching. And so this kind of makes sense for me. So I got my certification, continued taking some smaller classes, started working with like friends and, you know, people like just doing a random one-off session of holistic health coaching. Cause that's what my certification was in. Um, and then I, at that time moved out to LA and I just had this moment of like, that's it. I can't be here anymore. Like I'm not motivated. I don't want to be here. I'm barely working. I don't feel good about myself at work because I'm just so not present in it. And so I'm like, that's it. I have to make the leap. Um, and I got myself a coach actually to help me with that process and then, you know, within a few months I went full time and yeah, that's kind of, that was about three and a half years ago now. Oh my and gosh, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's how I got here. So were you, when, when you were like, okay, I need to get out of this job in LA. Was that when you were still in fashion? Yes. So I got lucky that my job, I was working for Tory Burch, which I loved. They had a tiny office in LA and they had one spot in the office. And my boss is like, you do your job completely independently. Cause my job was very mm -hmm. independent. At the time. He's like, you could go there if you want. And so I was still in fashion. I was still working there. Um, and yeah. And then I just had this moment. I had literally, I had emergency appendix surgery uh, oh. actually, and uh, I was recovering and I was just home and I was like, this is, this is a sign. I need to take action. Something is off. And so, so yeah. So when I hear your story, first of all, I love how you share like all of the pivots and whatnot, because I feel like for the stage where I'm at, um, I'm, so I just turned 27, 27. Yeah. So I just turned 27 and I kind of feel like, like society and movies and stuff it kind of makes it seem like oh like this is a time where you all figure it out and then it's like that forever and that's just like so not how real life is at all um I so I I went into pharmacy school first I ended up finishing but then pivoting to dentistry and I feel like I just wish more people understood like there's options out there like never feel trapped in a sense because like you can all like every day is like a chance to start over really um and I'm wondering with your experience you know making that leap from going from fashion into coaching that that's got to be very entrepreneurial like what were the early days of full-time doing this coaching like like 
you're essentially, you started your own small business and had to grow it, right? Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I just couldn't agree with you more. I think that's so true. That was like part of my crisis of like, I should have it figured out. I'm 25 or 26. And I was like, now that seems so silly to me, but I, it just felt so true in the moment because I'd never seen people pivot or talk about pivoting. It felt like a failure. So I hear you. I'm so with you. I think, yeah, it, it gives so much freedom, but you're absolutely right. I think I underestimated that part a little bit that I'm like, oh, I'm becoming an entrepreneur because I'd never wanted to be an entrepreneur. That never appealed to me. And so I kind of woke up one day. I'm like, damn, I'm an entrepreneur. Like, what do I do with this? Like, it's all on me now. So the early days, they were, um, it's interesting. Like, I want to say they were challenging, but I think I did that transition really slowly. So I had gotten a few clients, one or two clients before I had quit. And so that was helpful, although obviously that was bringing very little money in. But as I had said, I actually tutored for many years And so I think in the back of my mind, I always kept that around thinking if I ever need to do something, this is a source of income that's only through me. It's not through a company. And so I kept that around for many years and I upped it. And so that's kind of how I got through the first, I would say like three, after six months, I let it go. But like those first three to six months, it was really helpful having a little bit of like that supplemental income, just like baseline covering everything. And then that freed me up to spend those few months, like slowly getting clients, understanding how to do that, getting on social media, all of that. But you're absolutely right. It's been very much like a journey, an entrepreneurial journey that I did not fully expect how much of a role that would play in my life being an entrepreneur like it's part of who I am now and which is kind of funny to me yeah I have so much admiration for like all different types of coaches because it's like you're the coach and you have the knowledge for whatever your specialty is but you also have to be your own like business leader uh, you know like boss and all that stuff what were some I'm curious what were some of the like mistakes or things that you learned from along the way like especially early on uh in those first like six months or so yeah oh this is a good question I don't know if I would consider them, you know, and maybe this is like already going into like my philosophy on things, but there was definitely a lot of missteps. There's definitely a lot of things that now I'm like, oh, I could have done that a little bit differently. I don't know if I consider them mistakes because I definitely think I needed to like go through those experiences. Um, A couple of things that I guess stand out is, and I'm lucky because about halfway through that time, I actually found a coach who started talking about this and like really clicked in my head. It's actually how I ended up in the space of nervous system regulation. I didn't realize how dysregulating it would be to be an entrepreneur, right? Like I knew I was dysregulated and having anxiety and all these things when I was at work at this job that didn't feel like it was going anywhere for me. And I felt really bad about it and all these things. I don't, I don't think I realized how dysregulating it would be to then like completely be your own boss. You could do whatever you want. There is no structure. You have to make it up. You have to go find the clients. You have to do 45 things. So it was incredibly dysregulating and my nervous system was definitely shutting down. And I'm really glad I had the tutoring to kind of like build some structure into those early days. So I think that's one thing. I just think I underestimated how difficult it is and triggering and how much stuff would start to come up about like beliefs about myself and what I can't do and what I can do all of that started really coming up. So I think that was one really big piece. And the second, and the second part was probably around like visibility and understanding that like 
as an entrepreneur, like I, I am the business, especially as a coach, but I think in general, as an entrepreneur, like the business is really revolves around you and how much you have to understand what your gifts are and kind of like your magic, your spark, and that you need to like share that with the world as early as possible. And I think that was such a learning curve. And I think it's something I'm always still learning about, but I think we try to like hide ourselves and fit into a box and like, what should a health coach look like? Or what should a coach look like? And try to fit that. And in doing that, we're blocking the very thing that makes us special, that makes people connect with us and resonate with us and want to work with us. And so I just think for a long time, I was like trying to fit myself into a box, but blocking the very thing that needed to come through and I needed to showcase. And I think that was such a learning curve. Oh my gosh, I have like chills because something that you said just resonated so much with me. Um, the fact that you felt like you had to think about like what does a nervous system coach look like and like kind of fighting your own belief system because right now I'm like trying to decide what I want my career to look like, right? Like I, I'm kind of at that like ending of school period transitioning into my career phase. And for a long time, I've always like I've always known that I would really, really enjoy doing cosmetic dentistry. I mean, anyone would, right? Because it's like pretty, it's like, we all like it. It's like arts and crafts, right? It's, it's great. Um, but a lot of times, like in the past few years or so, when people would ask me what I was interested in doing, I felt like I was embarrassed to share that I wanted to be a cosmetic dentist because in my head, I was like, oh, I'm not pretty enough to be a cosmetic dentist. Mm -hmm. Like, or I don't look as glamorous. I'm not as like, like, I'm not the same as all of those other cosmetic dentists out there. I don't fit that box. So like, who would believe me if they think I can make their, you know, it was a lot of like that kind of subconscious beliefs. Um, But as luck would have it, like recently, and last, I want to say like six months in school, it's just like patient after patient, all of my patients, for some reason, the only thing they need happens to be like anterior cosmetic work. And that's like just all I've been doing. And then it's like time and time again, I, I felt like the universe was just showing me like, no, like you can do it. Like don't, it, a lot of it's up in your head. And it's kind of amazing when you think about like how many people out there are living their lives, not because like not based off of their full potential wants or needs, but because of some like preconceived like narrative that's in their head, right? And it's just a narrative, that's all it is. Oh my gosh, totally, I hear you. And it's so, I hear you like from the bottom of my heart, I feel that and I have so many clients talking about that. I literally just had a client talking about this who is thinking of going into like, she's a nurse thinking of going into like Botox and that world like the more aesthetics world. And it was the same limiting belief. She was like, but I don't think I'm girly enough, or I don't think I like look the part. And, you know, like the conversation I've had with her and it's a conversation I think I had to have on myself at some point where I was like, enough is enough. Like, I know I'm holding myself back at this point was, is it possible that the thing that we think is our weakness in this realm that we want to be in, is it possible that it's actually our greatest strength? Meaning, is it possible that not being like super glamorous and like the stereotypical like cosmetic dentist would actually draw people into you? Because there's probably people who don't want that kind of cosmetic dentist, like might be turned off by that or are looking for something different. And I I don't know. I, I think that made me think differently of maybe the thing I think is my weakness could be my strength here if I highlighted it more, if I wasn't kind of like trying to fit in or hide it. Does that make sense? 
That's totally. That's what I've been thinking recently because I looked around at a lot of like the dentists that I really admire and I was like, I don't put an ounce of thought into like what they look like as to like what their work is. And it's kind of like what you said. I was like, maybe there's like so many people out there that want to get that cosmetic work done, but they feel so insecure sitting in that chair in front of like a glamorous supermodel dentist anyways. So like maybe the thing like me just being my authentic self to them would make them feel more comfortable and attract like that niche of, you know, audience. Yeah, exactly. And I like, I fully believe that. And so I do, I fully believe that like the things where it's like our, you know, limiting beliefs or like our, what seems like our weaknesses, I think the more we could accept them about ourselves and learn to love them about ourselves and then show them more vulnerably and authentically wherever, whether that's like on social or wherever you kind of show up, maybe just in the office. I think that's when like there's a major shift that happens. And I think that was exactly what it was for me that for the longest time I would try to like cover these things up only to realize like, wait a second, that's the thing that makes me different. That's the thing that would make someone choose to work with me versus that other person. Me trying to be like a second rate version of them. Why would they choose me? They're going to choose like the original, you know? That's so true. And think of how much energy you had spent and I have spent like trying to like it just takes so much like double the amount of energy to be something you're not than the energy it takes just to to be yourself right I'm also curious when you look at like all the clients that you work with is there a trend of like did we all have experiences like as children like this or are these things that are learned like along the way during our, our journey also like do you think it's more like um like nature versus nurture I guess that discussion nature versus nurture I think it's very much more nurture than anything but I think it a lot of it does go back to childhood right so what we're talking about is and I think that's such a great question but the reality is it's kind of both right because what we're talking about is trauma right and I think people don't like to use that word because they reserve it for like big t traumas you know war Mm. famine rape and those are traumas of course but we all have traumas. We have little T traumas and little T traumas are not about the experience itself, but how we felt in that experience. So the most innocent experience could be traumatizing, especially to a child whose brain is not fully developed. Right. And so these things that, you know, that you're asking about that happen to us when we become these like overworked overachievers, perfectionists, a lot of them do happen in childhood. I would say most of them happen in childhood, but of course, as we go through our lives, traumatic things also happened. And those also change the trajectory and change how we show up in the world. So I think it's some combination. I guess I mostly see that most of these things, especially when it comes to perfectionism and overachieving, those tend to go back to childhood and like having similar experiences in childhood. That's so interesting. Also, I love it like dawned on me. I was like, oh, little T trauma. That's like the cutest statement ever. I want to start using that from now on. Did you come up with that? No, 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 no. I did not come up with that. There's so many people. No, no. I wish you could take credit for that. Yeah, we'll just just pretend. Um, I'm so glad you mentioned, you know, the whole idea of trauma not having to be like, like trauma is whatever trauma is to you, right? Um, And I see that a lot in myself. Part of why I reached out to you too was like my last episode, which was kind of part one this is basically part two of a series part one was just kind of unpacking um my personal relationship with like busyness I I call myself like a recovering busy bee um and I guess to unpack some of it um is that I realized when I was younger I always felt like the black sheep of my family 
because of a lot of reasons, my mom, my dad, my sister, they all immigrated from China. Um, my sister's 10 years older than me. So if you can imagine like the, fi the family dynamic, it's like I'm the baby of the family. They're very much older. Um, they've grown up with like different situations, different beliefs. And then I and then they came to America. And I feel like I grew up in this like white picket fence American dream already, whereas they had had many years of like being immigrants and doing that a grind <laughs> and so basically growing up like I said I always felt like the black sheep of the family they were always working working and um I mean I was just being a kid right so like I didn't have anything to work on I didn't have like a little I mean I, I had a toy laptop and I would like try to play along on it but then I'd be bored and be like okay can I go play some video games <laughs> like I would get bored of that um so I internalized for a while these thoughts in my head being like how come I'm not like them and like this passionate about their work like maybe that means I'm lazy or I'm like stupid or something and so I like internalized that for a while and that seeped into like much of my adulthood until I actually finally found dentistry which I like am so passionate about I love it um this podcast also you know and now I've taken on this like new identity of being a busy bee a, a big part of it is because yes I do love dentistry but I think a big part of that as well is the fact that once I found dentistry, I poured myself into something. And then for the first time, I really was like, oh, I'm like my mom and my dad and my sister now. Like, I really feel like I fit in with them now. And like, I've ascended the ranks. Like, I'm one of them now. Like, I make sense in my family now. Yeah. And I think that's like a lot of it. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you said that so beautifully. And like, that absolutely is a trauma. It's a, maybe a little T trauma, right? Because I think you're saying like, I was lucky. I didn't have to go through what they went through, but right. that experience of it, of feeling other is so painful. It's like to any human being, because at the end of the day, we all want just love and acceptance and belonging. And so it is, it's such a painful experience. And that is very much a trauma. And I think it's kind of interesting how you're able to map it out where you see that in the beginning, your response to that trauma was to maybe label yourself as like lazy and maybe taking on that identity of like this, like hopelessness of like, well, I guess there's just something wrong about me. And then finding dentistry and getting excited and then being like, oh my gosh, I could be like them. And now maybe like taking on their trauma response of like overworking to like now find that like acceptance and belonging. Right. Yeah. And actually it's so interesting. I didn't even really think about it until you said that, but I did really lean into the whole, like, I'm lazy kind of thing, because I feel like a lot of how I was uh, when I was more like in middle school, I guess, I rebelled. I Well, I can say I soft rebelled because like I didn't fail or anything. Like I got like B's, <laughs> let's be honest. My, my parents wouldn't let me fail, but, um, but I got B's and so that was like B's and C's, I guess. And I think I rebelled by like being like, well, I'm not like you guys. I'm not like Annie. I'm not some super smart doctor. She's a doctor. And instead I really leaned into being like almost like a class clown kind of vibe I was like okay well she's a smart one then I'll just be the funny one then I'll be like the loud one I'll be the silly one that'll be my thing and I guess I mean I am that at the core I think there's like a lot that goes into personality obviously because I am the baby of the family the second child people always say like people take on those traits anyways to begin with but it was probably amplified because I was trying to lean into that identity because it's so much easier to almost typecast yourself and be like, that's how I should act all the time. Cause like that makes sense. Instead of like actually being like the mess of like what we are as humans. You said that so well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So now I'm at the stage where like, I know that I understand from your posts, actually, you have this really great post about how busyness 
is a trauma response in a sense, which actually I was wondering if you could kind of explain, um, I thought it was really insightful how in your post you explain how there's a difference between busyness and productivity, which for a long time I really confused. Can, can you explain to the audience a bit about that? Oh my gosh, yes, definitely. And I just wanna say one thing about what you were saying before, because I think it's just such an interesting point on, oh, I leaned into this identity and like what is truly me and what is my trauma responses? Cause that's kind of you know what we're talking about here. You're kind of saying the way you coped with that pain in childhood is by maybe finding love and belonging and acceptance in other ways, which is kind of brilliant totally. to think about it. Like we take on these identities to keep ourselves safe. And so that is, you know, also a trauma response, but really a survival strategy and just like how brilliant that really is. So I just wanted to call that out, but yes, busyness is also a trauma response. It's also a survival strategy, right? Just like for you, that was a survival strategy or when you were like to feeling overwhelming pain of not maybe belonging or fitting in exactly busyness also becomes a way of finding meaning or belonging. Um, And so to your question, what is the difference between busyness and productivity? You know, there's kind of like many ways to break it down, but I think the simplest for me that I like to think about is to me, productivity is about being really efficient, doing as much as possible with as little as possible. Like to me, that is the definition of being really productive, that it doesn't take me six hours to do something. It takes me three and then I could stop. So to me, the productivity is all about efficiency, whereas busyness is more of never being allowed to have free time because having free time feels uncomfortable. And so you're just trying to squeeze things in. So you're kind of more coming from a place of I'm afraid of free time. And so I constantly need to be doing more and more and more. You're not actually coming from a place of what is my goal and what is the most effective, efficient, productive way to get to my goal. It's more so coming from a place of fear than it is coming from a place of love and focus and desire for your goals. That makes so much sense, actually. So I can, the way that you mapped it out, it almost seems like busyness is very restrictive and it's kind of like you don't you're you're telling yourself like you don't deserve that free time like we don't want that free time because you don't want to think about what's going to happen and where your mind's going to go and blah blah blah. whereas productivity is like let me get this done more efficiently because I know that I deserve that rest time after and all of that it's like much more uh, like freeing like one's freeing and one's very restrictive Oh my gosh. I love how you said that. Yes, absolutely. And you're right. Busyness is restrictive. It is this like trap, right? We're running from something. We're trying to stay away from this fear. And if we stop, we feel the thing we're afraid to feel, which is in free time. Maybe we feel we're not good enough. Maybe we feel not love, not worthy, all of these painful things. So we need to keep filling our days with more and more and more stuff to run away from these emotions that feel overwhelming. So it is very restrictive and like a trap. Whereas productivity is very much about, I know what I want and I know how to get there and I know how to do it in an efficient way so I could actually enjoy my life. Mm. So then, so here's where I'm at now. And this is where I'm, I'm using this selfishly because I have questions Jeez. to ask. So <laughs> you probably see this problem all the time with your dental students, with your dentist. Uh, so basically I'm at the point now where I know that my busyness is toxic and it's such it's like a knee-jerk reaction habit. So like last week, for example, um, 
I looked at my schedule for October and I realized I was like, oh my gosh, it's like empty. And I looked around at all my classmates and I'm like, oh my God, they're all like so busy all the time. And like, I felt like I was like genuinely in danger. I was like, I'm going to die if I don't fill my October schedule. So then what I did was I like called every patient I had. I filled my October schedule with like things that like I could have like didn't need to do. I like made something out of nothing. I was like, okay, let's book, book this, 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 this. Before I knew it, I looked and now my October schedule is busy again. And I'm like, why did you do that, Connie? You know, this isn't good for you. You know, there's like other things, like more productive ways you can use your time than through the busyness. So what do you recommend that I do in November so that, and moving on in my life so that I don't fall into this trap? Like what are some tangible steps that recovering busy bees can do to not fall into those habits? Yeah. So before I go into like more tangible steps, I guess my question for you would be to think about when you looked at that empty October schedule, what started coming up emotionally? Because clearly you noticed your nervous system triggered. When you feel that feeling of like, I'm going to die if this doesn't happen, it's very much your nervous system because your nervous system is very black and white. It's all about just surviving one more minute, right? And so you noticed yourself get triggered and there were certain beliefs and fears that seemed to have come up. What would you say those were? I remember when it happened, like my palms got really sweaty. I felt like clammy. I literally just thought like, I'm going to fall behind and I'm going to not get enough experience. And then I'm going to be a bad dentist someday. Like that was like kind of my thought. I was like, it's all going to be because I took October off. Like that was like my, I was like, I'm going to be like a failure. Like uh, I'm not going to be a good dentist. All my patients are going to know that just because I took this October off. Like that was where my thought process went. Yeah. So it's going into this like failure and not being good enough direction. Yes. And I also have a very bad habit. I'm trying to kick it of um, comparing myself, not in the sense that it's hard to describe this level that I compare myself because it's not in the sense of like, oh, this person's doing this. Like I have to like do that. It's kind of not like that. It's more in the sense that like, I feel safe when I know that I'm doing the same thing as everyone else. But that's been the hardest part of my dental school experience because um, in pharmacy school, I felt like a lot of what I did was the right things on paper. I joined the right clubs. I became like, I tried super hard to become like leadership positions. So that way I could kind of like fit in amongst the, well, I guess lead, but like fit in amongst the crowd. Right. So when I came to dental school, I made a vow to myself. I'm like, Connie, you're not going to fall into that trap. You have these big aspirations to do these things and make your own path. And that's kind of hard because like no one else out there is doing it. So it's kind of like, there's no other path for me to follow. So in times like this, when I, when I have this free time, I'm kind of scared. I I know in my head, like I have big aspirations for this podcast, right? Like October would have been a great month to big, make big moves in this podcast. Um, I work part-time in marketing for a floss company. October would have been a great month for me to lean into that. Um, but like no one else is doing the podcast in school. No one else is doing the floss company thing. So then it's kind of like the survival part of my brain is like, I'm scared to be like, like, I know I have to be different. Like my life has to be different from everyone else. I have to spend my time differently in order to um, be successful at this. And so far in dental school, my life really has been different. To be honest, I always joke that I feel like Hannah Montana because like during the day I see my patients, I go to school, I see my classmates, but at home I'm working on the podcast. I'm working on um, the floss company. I'm doing my own thing. And so like, I should be used to that by now, but now I'm at a point where I feel like I have to make bigger decisions in this because like first, second, third year of dental school, I could be like, 
oh, like I, I, I have time, I have time. But now I'm at the precipice of being like, oh, I have to start making some big moves in my career and making big decisions with like the podcast, the Foss company, all that. I, I feel yeah. like I'm rambling about my life now, but. <laughs> no, no, it made sense. And I guess I just want to point it out if you don't mind like what I'm hearing, maybe it would be helpful to you. I was just jotting down some notes as, as you were talking. Like I totally hear you and I and I could see this challenge that you're having where, um, you really want to carve out your own path, but that is difficult, right? And I guess like what connected based on what you were saying before for me is you had said you always kind of felt like the black sheep because you were different. You weren't as like hardworking, busy or whatever it was. And then you came to dentistry and you found that. So to me, it kind of sounds like dentistry and school specifically gives you the sense of belonging that maybe you didn't have as a kid growing up. And, and that's kind of you know, a survival response of like, oh my gosh, this feels amazing. If I just stay busy, like everyone else, I belong and I get the thing that I never had. But at the same time, it's like from what you're more, your authentic self, you want to be different, but being different is again, like repeating that same pattern of being like the black sheep. And I, I, does that make sense? Like I almost see you at the same crossroads of like, I could fit in and be busy like everyone else, or I could be the black sheep again in my life. And I think that's kind of coming up on an unconscious level. Oh my God. I can't believe I'm getting this service for free. This is incredible right now. Um, thank you so much because you just made me realize like so many things. You're so right because dentistry almost became my safety blanket because like before dental school, I was a bad student. I was not good. I was just like, I was never meant to be a pharmacist. Okay. I, I, I just feel like my brain just didn't work that way. When I found dentistry, suddenly like pharmacy, I was a fish in the water. Dentistry, I always joke, it's like my water, right? I felt like I fit in. I just naturally understood the concepts. Um, and I just, things came so much easier to me. Like school is easier. And the other day I had this thought when I walked through the halls of my clinic, I was saying hi to like the dispensary person, saying hi to my friends. I was like, I feel so comfortable here. This place is like my home. But mm -hmm. just because it's comfortable doesn't mean that that's like what's best for me. Because like, where does my mind go when I like put my pillow on when I put my head on the on my pillow at night, right? Like, what do I think about in my free time? What do I dream about? I mean, in some ways it is like becoming a cosmetic dentist, but I also dream of, you know, like this podcast, like I've always dreamed of being an entrepreneur. Also, I look up to so many of these like incredible like business people and I just have so much, I don't want to say more because that makes it seem like dentistry is less, but I just feel like I have such unconventional dreams for myself that that's really what my true authentic self like that, that's what I want to do, right? But that's kind of what's scary because dentistry is my safety blanket. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and I just wanted to point that out because, you know, to, I, I don't didn't mean to like take the conversation off track of, from your question, but mm -hmm. that's kind of what we need to notice. That's the emotions that are coming up at an unconscious level that are making you just like, okay, just fill the schedule because I don't want to sit with that. So when we start to call that out and we see the patterns, we're like, oh, okay, yeah this does make me feel safe and I need this to some degree, but just being busy here is not going to serve kind of my authentic self fully. Mm -hmm. I do have these bigger aspirations, but that is scary because I'm stepping out on my own again. And it's like feeling like the black sheep again. And so just like sometimes even just being aware of that pattern makes it a lot easier to make a conscious and intentional choice, not from just like fear and like believing the thoughts that that dysregulated state brings, but from understanding where are those thoughts actually coming from? Because those thoughts are not, a, you know, it's something I always say about nervous system. When we talk about the nervous system, when you're dysregulated, like triggered, which we get all the time, we all get triggered all the time. 
your thoughts are not an accurate reflection of reality. They're more a reflection of your past, which is what we just um, saw, right? Your thoughts yeah. are more a reflection of your past experiences and your traumas, not necessarily reality. There's really very little reality to like, if you don't feel October, you're not going to be a bad dentist or you're not going to achieve your goals, especially if your goals are multifaceted in the way that you just described. Like it's right. completely not true, but your thoughts are a reflection of your past. Oh my God, that is so true. I never even thought about that. Do you think also that I should maybe just work on rebranding what being the black sheep means to me? Because like, there's nothing wrong with being a black sheep. If anything, like, it sounds like what I want is to be like a black sheep, to be different and all of that. Um, but I associate being a black sheep with only those times of um, like discomfort when maybe there's a chance I could find comfort in that somehow. Yeah, I love how you said that. Like you're you're spot on that it's almost like, you know, in, in psychology and in the spiritual world, sometimes we call it like the shadow self, shadow aspects, mm-hmm. aspects of ourselves that we wanted to exile because they were painful. And so a lot of healing is actually taking those parts of ourselves and bringing them back in. Mm. And so what you're saying is like this black sheep part of me that was a part of me, I've kind of exiled and I don't want to be anything like that anymore because it was so painful. It's almost like, how do you own that, bring it back, love it, and like see the good in it? Right. Maybe that you're dependent, that you're multifaceted, that you do things differently, that you know you don't need to continue the generational trauma of your family of the busyness they had to go through because of the trauma they've been through, you know, and like mm-hmm. kind of like taking that part back and reintegrating it into yourself and like owning it um, as like a positive part of yourself. So with the kind of like integrating that part back, I think it could be in little ways. It, it might be like using that word black sheep, not in a negative way, but like owning it. Like, yeah, like I am a black sheep. Like maybe you throw that into conversation or you talk about it to someone or you think about it or you journal about it. Like kind of like taking those words back and taking away mm-hmm. the negative connotation from them. I totally forgot about this, but you just brought it up. Um, so when I was like really young, I had a t-shirt where it was all white sheep and a black sheep on it. And I, I, I didn't even know what a black sheep meant. I went to my friend's birthday party and her dad who happened to also be my like social studies teacher. It's kind of funny. So he like knew me well. His dad was like, oh, you totally are the black sheep. And I remember like kind of thinking that was like funny and cool at first. And I went home and I told my sister and I was like, oh, he said I was the black sheep. And she was like, that's kind of mean. Like, that's not a good thing. And that's like where that thought came from. Cause I was like, how did I even think black sheep was that bad to begin with? So I think that whole, it's funny, like such a small conversation, not that I'm blaming this on on you, Annie, if you're listening, I'm not blaming it on my sister, but Like, think about it that way. I was a kid. I was such in my purest form without any outside knowledge. I was like stoked to be a black sheep. And then putting that context in of like, oh, you shouldn't, you don't want to be a black sheep. That's bad. That's probably where it started. Yeah. And it's interesting how like memories pop up when you start really connecting the dots this way. This happens all the time. You're absolutely right. And it's almost like thinking about, wait, what would I say to that little girl? Like when her sister says this, if you can go back in there, what would you tell her about being a black sheep? I actually wish she could give me advice. (laughs) I feel like she probably knew a lot because like she was just so unbiased and uninfluenced by the world yet. I'm like, could little me just like give me some advice now? (laughs) Yeah. Or or, and maybe that's it of almost like, no, no, you were right. Like it Mm -hmm. is a cool thing. What did you think was cool about it? Like, listen to that. Right. You know, so just kind of want to point that out. Um, so that's kind of one way you could like take ownership of that word, remembering that memory, going back to it, being like, oh my gosh, that doesn't actually make sense. That's not necessarily true. I could understand why your sister may have thought it. Um, right. 
So that's kind of like one way. It's also taking actions to like celebrate being, you know, someone who creates your own path, which I think you're already doing. So almost like Mm -hmm. celebrating that and embracing that even more about yourself. Like, yeah, I do like to do things differently. Kind of what we were saying before of like the things that seem like weaknesses are actually the strengths. So maybe Mm. the more you embrace being quote unquote, the black sheep, maybe that's kind of your, your superpower that you get to embody that people are going to be really drawn to. Lean into that more. Not, not making my whole identity, but find more safety in owning it, I guess. Exactly. And I think you're already kind of doing that in many ways, but maybe owning that even more. Like, yeah, I do like to do all these different things, mm, you know? So that's, that's kind of one way to think about it. Um, if we're talking about like how to take ownership of that part and embrace it. And then maybe sometimes as you go through your day-to-day life, noticing like the urge to be busy and to like be in school and in the safety zone and belong. And then seeing like, okay, I see that urge. Is there another option? What would it look like if I did kind of allow this part of myself that likes to be independent and doing her own thing? What would that look like? And almost thinking like, which one would serve me and my goals most? Mm -hmm. Because again, it sounds like your goals are very multifaceted. Yeah. I feel like, do you ever have clients that are like scared by how big their goals are though? (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's normal to be scared of myself. I, I always joke I'm scared by how delusional I am because I think that's how I've gotten so far. And like one of my greatest strengths is how de- my moments of being delusional because it's really moments. I don't feel this self-confident all the time. I don't feel this gutsy, this ballsy, whatever all the time. It's the one minute every couple of months where I'm like, let me send that cold email or let me do this. That's what opens doors. I love that. Yeah, it's almost like you get in touch with maybe your authentic self in that moment and you're like, just do it. I always it think was- it's like the one or two times like a month where I have a nitro cold brew. <laughs> have you ever tried one of those? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I did once and I can't, I can't handle caffeine. Yeah, no. yeah, no, I, I'm the same way. I'm like once or twice a month and then I remind myself why I don't do it. But I think that's where all my good ideas come from. So <laughs> Maybe, maybe. But yeah, it's like embracing that even more maybe and thinking about, wait, okay, I know I, I see the safe option. Mm-hmm. Here is the not so safe option. Would that serve my goals more? And sometimes making, maybe taking that choice of like, yeah, I'm going to be a little bit of the black sheep today. I'm going to do the thing that other people aren't doing and then seeing what happens. But I love that. I think that's such a good question to ask myself. Like, how can I show up as a black sheep more? Cause it's kind of like, it's kind of like now I understand what I have to do, but now I'm like on paper, what does that like look like when I'm like scheduling my day? I, you know what, on paper, what it looks like is it sounds like I need to not overbook my November <laughs> and like actively be like Masha told me that I have to like do this so I'm not gonna do it and then like over time then it won't be like Masha told me anymore it's gonna be like this I know is like best you know yeah and a thousand percent and it's like not just not overbook November it sounds like you have to carve out time for these more like multifaceted parts of yourself but just it's almost like you could think about it like school and dentistry probably serves your need of belonging of course, it serves 100%. your need of like learning and education, obviously, yeah. at the fundamental <laughs> level. But it also serves this like need of like belonging and feeling good about yourself. Whereas it sounds like the other things serve maybe your bigger goals of like being really multifaceted and doing all these things, these like really big dreams you have for yourself. And it could mm-hmm. almost be that of like, what do I want to serve today? Do I just need a sense of belonging? Then school is going to be a great place and like booking more patients. Or am I really wanting to do something that serves like the, the big dreams I have? 
which would probably be doing these more multifaceted things and like making time and space for them that makes so much sense I'm definitely gonna think about that moving forward how like goals kind of like aren't all the same is what it sounds like like it's kind of like big t little t with trauma it's like big g little g like and that's not to diminish my goals with dentistry at all it's just that like I'm at this point now where I like finish most of my graduation requirements like I worked so hard third year to get to this point. Like I'm allowed now to let that be the little G and to place the big G on like somewhere else. Like I I worked hard enough where like I shouldn't see them the same, you know? Totally. And maybe it's like a matter of like long-term and short-term, like especially working with all my clients who are dental students. I think it's very much, you have to be very focused on short-term goals. Like just keep Mm -hmm. putting one foot in front of the other, like just get through one more exam, one more year. Like it feels very much like that, I think. In, in dental school, at least like from what I hear from all my clients. And I think once you're done with dental school, it's more, it is more entrepreneurial. I think even in dentistry, it's much more entrepreneurial where it's like, you have to think really long-term. And I think that's like a shift that could be uncomfortable to like, mm. from like, what do I have this week, this month, whatever, or to like, what are the bigger things and how do I start like chipping away at them? And because that path is not going to be so clear, not like school, school, so clear cut, do this, 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 and this. I I was thinking about that the other day because like dental school is not easy by any means, but there is a tangible, a very tangible beginning and X amount of requirements, X whatever boxes to check. Real life, like entrepreneurship, all of this is like not like that at all. I'm constantly like with my podcast questioning, like, is this the right decision? Like, Like there's no handbook on how to do that. And also if I'm being completely honest, I think part of why I've never really had this type of conversation with myself or anyone is because I'm almost afraid to admit that I have these bigger dreams and aspirations because I'm afraid Mm -hmm. that it devalues my dreams and goals as a dentist. I'm afraid that if I say that, that because going from pharmacy to dentistry, it almost felt a little embarrassing in a way because like we had previously said, no one really has shown uh, that it's not very common to post about people changing their paths because it almost feels like a failure, right? I felt like I had to admit like I made a mistake by choosing pharmacy first and it felt embarrassing to be someone that had to like change my career. And I think part of that made me think, okay, I have to make sure I have to now act like dentistry is it all day forever because otherwise if I don't, people are going to think I made the same mistake again. And I'm realizing, I keep saying people think, and I realize no one actually thinks that much about you. A lot of it is like being worried about what other people think about me. Um, But I'm just worried that by me having these big dreams to, you know, be a podcast host and have businesses and I've always been afraid and then other dentists would look at me as as not as good of a clinician because they're like, oh, she's like a, she wants to be a fake dentist anyway. She doesn't really want dentistry. She has her foot in all these other doors. She's not committed like the other people that are hardcore, like all day, everyday dentistry. Yeah, I hear you. And I think that is, that is such a tricky, that is the tricky part of what we were saying before, right? Of being a little bit of like a black sheep of like trying to forge your own path instead of doing exactly what everyone else is doing, which is like, I picked one thing and I do that for the next 50 years. And like, I get that. That was exactly the feeling I had of like, it feels like a failure to change. Um, But yeah, I hear you. I think that is the tricky part, but at the same time, it's also the part of like owning what is authentic to you. Gifts are going to be, and the magic is really going to be. Yeah. I feel like I just realized from explaining everything to you it's kind of silly to think that like that I can limit my gifts only to either dentistry or podcasting it's possible that like the gifts are kind of like um what's it called symbiotic like helpful 
to each other totally. and it's like just because I have I have dreams to be successful in one area doesn't mean that it doesn't like negate my success or anything else in dentistry either like they can be compatible totally and I think to me that that's again that idea of like it seems like a weakness that you have so many interests and you're not just like super focused on one but could it actually be your greatest strength the thing that makes you stand out I think a lot of it too is like honestly me like overthinking everything because I'm trying to make so much sense of it. I think like I'm someone that wants things to make sense. I want to be a clear cut person with that one goal, just like everybody that I see on TV, but I'm just not <laughs> like, and it's okay to be like a very uh, multifaceted type of person. And I'm curious, I, I saw one of your posts talking about how like overthinking and trying to think your way out of things isn't necessarily helpful. Um, you said, I actually really love this. You said, uh, in terms of like your nervous system with like feeling anxiety and stress, that it's impossible to think your way out and you have to resort to action instead. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on like this and like your post with that? Yeah. So what this is kind of talking about is the fact that when we're dysregulated, when our nervous system is activated and our survival instinct takes over, trying to think and reason your way out is going to be impossible because that part of your brain is not fully online anymore and your survival instinct is really in charge, right? And so thinking is going to take you nowhere. In fact, your thoughts when you're dysregulated are a reflection of the state that you're in. Your The story always follows the state. So the stories, the thoughts will follow the state that you're in. If you are in a dysregulated state, if something happened and you're a little bit triggered, you feel a little anxious, your heart rate's up, all of those things, you will notice your thoughts will follow. They will be a little bit more like me versus you, criticizing, blaming, looking for problems, hypervigilant, wanting to like kind of replay things over and over and over again, right? Because what just happened is your nervous system got triggered and your nervous system is pretty primitive right? It got triggered, meaning it thinks, okay, there's a threat. It's going to kind of mobilize in the way that it would if a tiger jumped out at you, not just physically, mm-hmm. like your hands get sweaty, you know, blood flows through your muscles, your heart rate goes up. That's all your body mobilizing to run or fight this tiger that it thinks just jumped out at you. But your mind will also shift to support you getting away from the threat, the tiger. And so your mind will become very hypervigilant. It will look for problems it's not going to be working clearly. Your executive functioning, your ability to problem solve, be creative, all those things, it's just not accessible to you when you're dysregulated. So thinking will only take you further and further into that state because your thoughts will just keep reflecting the what you feel in your body, which is triggered, threatened, uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way to actually move out of that is by taking action to regulate your nervous system, to get out of this survival response. Because once you get out of that, then the executive functioning turns back on, you have clarity and you could problem solve in the way that you need. And like, I think we've all experienced this. Like you could have the same problem or the same argument happen when you're feeling really calm and grounded. And then you could have that same issue happen when you're feeling like anxious, all the things, your mind will think completely differently. The options will seem completely, the world looks completely differently. Mm -hmm. The same thing looks different. Exactly. Like, have you ever had like the same argument with like a partner or a loved one? I don't know. Mm -hmm. It could be about taking out the garbage, but like you have it when you're feeling really good and calm and you're like, okay, that's fine. We'll resolve it. Like you do, you (laughs) will figure it out. And that same argument happens when you're distressed and it's Mm -hmm. very like, why would you do this? Very much like attacking, blaming, wanting to point fingers or the other extreme of like, this will never get better. I can't do this anymore. Like this very 
it's all a reflection of the state of your nervous system, not of reality, because the situation is probably exactly the same. Right. So then in that sense, how do you exactly like calm everything down in like, like, what would that look like in my day to day, like on my commute during my lunch break for anyone listening out there? How could they implement that if they're equally as like dysregulated as I am? (laughs) Yeah. So, well, there's two different survival states. So we have to keep in mind that what we do in each one will be actually a little different, but let's take, I think the most common one that we're talking about here, which is when we're feeling like anxious, overwhelmed, thoughts are spiraling, right? Like that fight or flight that Mm -hmm. we all go into in small ways and in big ways throughout the day. When that happens, you wanna think about the fact that what's happening is your body is mobilizing because it thinks there's a threat in your environment. And it is doing all the things that it would do if there was a tiger jumping out at you. So you almost need to make your body think that you are getting away from this tiger. You need to release all of this active mobilizing energy that's present in your body. Your body has all this energy because it thinks you're going to fight or run. And instead, you just like sit there and try to think about it, which only (laughs) makes all of this energy that is pent up in your body worse because it's just like simmering. So what we need to do is release in a safe way, release some of this energy. This could be walking. This would be getting up jumping, shaking. This could be humming. Humming stimulates our vagus nerve and could be calming. Um, But it's literally moving that energy out of your body, even for a few minutes before Mm -hmm. doing anything else. you say humming? Do you mean like humming along to a song or do you mean like the like, hmm, just like one tone? Either one. Humming stimulates your vagus nerve. It could be really calming. Um, That's like a little one, but yeah, either one works. It's why singing works. It's why like in most religions, there's some kind of chanting or singing. It's really calming to our nervous systems. Oh, oh my and singing gosh. together and actually syncs up our nervous systems, which is why we do it so often, like religious practices. Say, does it have to be like with another person or can it just be like along? No, it could be on your own. Yeah. Humming, singing. Um, but realistically, the one that I really encourage people to do, especially if they have like anxiety or just feel uncomfortable is move the energy out of your body. Get up jump, shake, dance, go for a walk, move the energy. You need to make your body believe that you are getting away from this tiger and that you are coming to safety. Because even when the threat goes away, you're still going to feel it in your body, which is why we could feel really anxious and stressed in at school or at work. And then we get home and we're still feeling it. Like, I don't know why I'm feeling it. Like, it's not here anymore. Why isn't this going away? Well, your mm-hmm. body doesn't know the tiger's gone. It still thinks the tiger's there. Your nervous system's primitive in that way. And so you need to give it the experience of releasing this energy to let your body know, like, we're safe. We got away. Um, If you think about that's what animals do in the wild, right? Like they run from the animal or they get away. And actually often they will then go to the side and shake off the energy. So like a gazelle. Oh my God, my dog shakes. That's, that's what dogs do when they're anxious. They shake. They're releasing. That's exactly what I'm asking you to do. They're releasing the energy. And if you think about it, this like blew my mind when I first learned it. This is why animals don't have trauma. Like, think about it. Animals have much more traumatic lives than we do. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. So why are they not traumatized? Because they're able to move all this energy out of their body. Whereas as human beings, our brain stops us from releasing this energy and we hold it all in our bodies. Oh my God. That is genius. I am like so excited for my listeners to hear that because I feel like this, this just makes so much sense on like a scientific, like primitive level. I'm, so I'm, I'm curious. So let's say our audience member 
was feeling anxious, they felt that tiger, they did the thing, they started humming, and now they're feeling better. Are there things that they can do before the tiger prevents itself again next time? Like, what are preventative things that you can do? Is it more about keeping yourself in a more regulated state so that way you don't ever get there? Um, it's both actually, right? So first of all, we will always get triggered and dysregulated. That is part of life. A healthy nervous system is not one that never gets dysregulated. A healthy nervous system is one that doesn't get stuck in states of dysregulation. It can get dysregulated and then has the flexibility to come back into safety and to regulation when it is appropriate, right? It's the problem is when we can't come out of it, we get stuck in it, where we go into these states when it's not really appropriate, where it's not really needed. Right. So we don't want to get rid of our survival instinct in that way. So part of the work is, yes, when you get dysregulated, learning the tools to regulate yourself out of these different states. Um, but you're absolutely right. There are things that we could do in order to deal with stress better to improve our vagal tone. Right. That's kind of how we refer to it. it your vagal tone is basically kind of like the brakes on your nervous system. And so it's kind of like the brakes on the bike, where if you have good vagal tone, you could slowly go into that dysregulation versus when your brakes are not so good, you're like, fine, fine, fine. And then you're like completely in the deep end, having a panic attack. And that happens very, very quickly if your vagal tone is not great. So improving your vagal tone kind of helps you like move into those states with a little bit more control, like having some brakes on, on the bike. Does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Do you see your clients at all? Like I remember reading about like an emotional home, right? So like someone's emotional home might be like being used to this state of dysregulation where um, like stimulating that vagal tone actually might be scary. Do you find with your clients that there's a period of time, like a hump that they have to get over with getting used to that vagal tone? Like, uh, So getting used to like safety, you mean? Yeah, like do people have to get used to safety or do we usually just like it right away? <laughs> No, we absolutely need to get used to it. We like, absolutely. If we're, like you said, if our emotional home is to be constantly overwhelmed and stress, safety won't feel safe, which is exactly why if we're recovering from busyness, it's hard to just relax and do nothing. It doesn't feel safe to do nothing. Your body's like, mm, it's still not safe. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, it does take time to get used to resting, slowing down, um, to being present, to being connected. It's almost like you have to like train your nervous system. And the way you would do that is by having more and more experiences of safety in like small doses. So your nervous system can be like, well, we, we didn't die. Like we took an hour of break and we're okay. But it needs those experiences to let it know that it's safe. Because maybe in the past growing up, maybe relaxing wasn't safe. Maybe you'd get in trouble. Maybe you'd get told there's something wrong with you if you relaxed. Right. So sometimes that's why those things don't feel safe to us. And so we almost need to like give our nervous system these like small doses, small experiences of safety, um, using kind of different tools to, to, yeah, feel at home in a state of calm. Speaking of home also, I realized like I'm in a state of such dysregulation at school and stuff like that. But then I come home. Um, I'm curious, are there any things I can do to my home to make it feel a little safer, a little better, a more vagal tone friendly because <laughs> like right yeah. now um also if you have any specific tips uh for girls out there that i i just moved in with my fiance like I, well we've been living together for a couple years now but it's been a huge adjustment moving in from being like just one girl where everything can look like pretty and girly to like i have a million like power ranger books in front of me right here i have pokemon stuff i have his like we're recording this on his like digimon thing <laughs> so like how do i how, how can you help with that <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's such a great question. Oh, I hear you totally. So 
a couple of things come to mind. I guess one of them would be just making your space to the best of your ability, although it might not like aesthetically look as pleasing as we would like when we live with a partner. I totally get you. Making it feel making it like feel like a relaxing place. So sometimes I'll like to maybe like make a corner of my house where I can go and like breathe or meditate. And when you're doing that, like thinking about, sometimes I like to think about like the five senses of making it feel luxurious, maybe incorporating smells that feel relaxing, thinking about the lighting, like giving it that luxurious feeling that feels really soothing to the nervous system. Soft things feel soothing to the nervous system, beautiful things. And like, so like incorporating little elements of that, I think is really nice thinking about smells, candles. Like I think the little changes are really, really helpful. Um, And I think having just like one spot, I also think like at home, it's a big one is separating work. So at the end of the day, like remove work if you have it somewhere like you need to put it away it needs to not you need to not be looking at it I also talk a lot about making sure your bedroom is only for sleep like Mm. not watching tv and they are not working and they're not being on your phone so your nervous system associates it with a calming place dimming the lights doing all of those things also when you're thinking about like coming home it's like dimming the lights making it a little kind of preparing your body for rest in these like slow ways thinking about music, things like that. That totally makes sense. What about like, so I feel like on the weekends when I spend extended amount of times at home, sometimes it's like, okay, the weekends are for rest, but then it's like, it's like I do my rest thing. And then I'm like, okay, now what? (laughs) Like rest on the weekends, especially is hard for me because it seems almost boring and I don't know. I I have a hard time with that. Do you have any like good weekend activity recommendations that you have? Obviously it's dependent on someone's personal hobbies and interests, but is there anything at baseline that you think like helps your clients be more successful on the weekends? Hmm. That's a good question. I guess maybe to me, this would connect to, I think a question I didn't answer that you asked me is like, okay, Mm -hmm. what are some things you can do in general to like improve vagal tone, right? So vagal tone is kind of like those breaks on our nervous system and kind of help us kind of slow down that reaction. Right. And so I think any behaviors that could support that are really nice to do on a daily basis and to incorporate into your weekend routine. So things that could support that obviously are meditation, breath work. Those are probably the two big things. Also things like movement. Movement is really wonderful. Um, Another big one is actually getting sunlight in the morning. It helps regulate our nervous systems and improve our circadian rhythm, right? So those little things to me are really nice to like incorporate every day, whether that's a weekend or a weekday. And I always recommend to people create a morning routine or an evening routine, create routines that kind of help you incorporate these practices into a daily routine or a daily basis. And then make sure you're doing them on the weekend as well to help you ground. Um, Mm. That's like one thing of if you have a routine that's really grounding, try to continue it on the weekend. Obviously, things like journaling could be really supportive, especially on the weekend of like just helping you reflect. Um, Other things for the weekend, I think it really kind of, I think just telling people to rest is not really helpful advice because there's Mm. many different types of rest. And honestly, 
we shouldn't need extensive rest unless we're not resting consistently during the week, which of course sometimes happens, but ideally we'd be resting in the evenings. We'd be taking just moments to pause and breathe during the day. And that could actually be helping us to prevent burnout. So we're not completely drained on the weekend. We have energy to do stuff. Um, and then like what you're actually doing on the weekend, I would always recommend to just think about like the things that are truly enjoyable to you. So things like things I think people forget are like creativity, connection. Um, those are really big. Yes, it might be resting physically, but it might also be moving and maybe going on a hike or taking a class. Like if that's something you feel like you're missing in your day-to-day -day life, that's what I would kind of recommend to do more of on the weekend. If you struggle with rest in general, I would also say like, don't give yourself extensive time to rest. Give it almost like in scheduled chunks. Like if you're trying to do nothing, instead of saying like, I'm gonna do nothing all day, which would give like me anxiety personally, yeah. I would only give like chunks of time of like, you know what? Like from this time to th this time, I'm just gonna do nothing. Maybe I'm just gonna go for a walk. Maybe I'll just sit around, listen to music, do nothing. Like I'll just see what I want to do. To me, that would feel safer than saying, I'm gonna do nothing all day. My nervous system be like, what does that mean? There's no safety, there's no control. It wouldn't really love that. When you mentioned morning routine and nighttime routine, I've always wanted to have one. Like everything that I read about successful people, they all have them. I'm like, oh, that's, therefore I should have one. But I suck at sticking to one. And I think part of it is maybe in my mind, I'm making it bigger than it has to be. So I'm curious for you personally, what is Masha's morning or nighttime routine? Like what's your, your routine look like? Yeah, I'm really big on routines. Really, really big. I make I help everyone make a routine. I talk about it all the time. Mine personally, honestly, changes. It changes a lot. And I think that's what's made it so effective for me. My routine is incredibly flexible. Um, it's something I make time for on a daily basis, but it changes depending where I am, depending on the seasons. I really give it a lot of flexibility. So in a perfect world, I think my morning routine would involve some sunlight, so getting outside and getting sunlight before 9, 10 a.m. is really, really important. I prioritize that. It would involve some journaling, some movement, and some just a few minutes to just like be. So that might be breath work, meditation. It might just like be sitting outside and doing nothing. Um, and maybe breakfast, coffee. I do love coffee. I don't like caffeine, so I'll get decaf most of the time. But to me, that ritual of getting coffee is just like really joyful. And so I make sure to incorporate it. So those are kind of like the elements that I play with, but it really changes depending on where I am, what I'm doing, and like even what season it is. Those are just kind of the elements I like to include. Um, sometimes it might be journaling for 30 minutes. Sometimes it might be journaling for two minutes and like just writing down like two sentences about how I'm feeling. Sometimes it might be like a workout class. Sometimes it might be like a walk around the block. Um, I also, like I said, I like to incorporate something joyful. So for me, like, the ritual of getting coffee is really enjoyable. And I find that really important to incorporate. It's not only about like what's productive and effective and the most optimal. It's also about like what makes me feel connected to myself, what makes me feel happy, what makes me feel like just present and like I'm enjoying my life. I try to incorporate a little bit of that into the morning routine every day. Mm, that makes so much sense. I feel like a lot of it is you have to be very in touch with yourself to know what's working because sometimes I feel like for me, what's tough is getting in that physical component because I used to always think like, okay, physical, that means I have to run like four miles and do like the hardest fit workout. Not the, not the like 10 minute hit workout. I, I got to do like the 30 minute one. Cause then otherwise it's not worth it. And I feel like I'm starting to realize from what you're saying is like, 
if I don't enjoy the 30 minute hit workout, but I would have done the 10 minute one, like do the one that's that you're going to do and like maybe enjoy a little more. A thousand percent. And like, you're kind of speaking to, you know, the overachiever, the busy bee, like there's that trauma response, right? Like I need to do everything perfectly into the max or I'm just not going to do it at all because what's the point? It's pointless. It's kind of like a failure. Um, And so that's been like a big part of like my journey as well with perfectionism because I definitely struggled with that, which is like not doing things perfectly, not doing a hundred percent, like letting myself do less than a hundred percent and journal for two minutes or walk around the park or breathe for one minute. And I think that's been really, really important. And I think you're also right. I actually have a, a morning routine workshop and like the foundation of that is me talking about the nervous system, because I believe your morning routine needs to support your nervous system. If you're waking up and you're feeling super anxious that morning, you need your morning routine to help you regulate. That's mm-hmm. the number one thing your routine has to do to be effective. If it doesn't do that, then the rest of your day is not going to be great. You know, or if you're feeling really shut down, your morning routine needs to help you with that. And so you have to understand your nervous system and how to use these tools slightly differently. And by tools, I mean, you know, we're always pushed like movement and meditation and breathing and journaling. Those are wonderful tools, but you can use them differently and you should use them differently depending on how you're feeling. If you're feeling completely overwhelmed, can barely get out of bed, telling yourself to go for an hour workout is going to be the worst thing you could do. You're not going to do that. You're going to start out feeling like a failure. It's only going to have like this really nasty domino effect. And so in those mornings, the best thing you probably do for yourself is do really tiny things. Like, can I write one sentence? Can I step outside? Can I breathe for a minute? And those might actually help you kind of regulate a little bit and kind of bring in a little bit more energy so you can move forward. And so versus when you're waking up feeling super anxious, then yeah, that intense workout might be great because it could help you release all of that and then kind of come mm. back to a calmer state. And so kind of like you need to be able to use these tools effectively to your unique nervous system. When you say unique nervous system, I also think about like that trope of how there is night owls in morning, wait, what's the what's the morning one? Morning birds? Damn There's not. an animal, <laughs> right? Like it's night <laughs> owl, morning people, I don't know. Morning no, birds, there is an animal, birds. but I can't think of it right now. Yeah. So insert species here. Um, do you find with your clients that there's like a different amount of like uh, reception to this based on if they're because like personally, I'm a night owl, which is what makes my morning routine so hard. Like I know I have to like I really want to exercise and have that good morning routine. But like when my alarm goes off, all I want to do is just sleep in a little more. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it absolutely does play into it. And I I do believe that some people are more night owls. That being said, I think sleep is incredibly important and has to be the first priority. So if you're not getting enough sleep, I would never recommend waking up earlier to have a morning routine, but, you know, getting five hours of sleep, I would still recommend get minimum seven hours of sleep. And then if you have time, do a morning routine. And I would say for those people and, and really everyone who's starting a morning routine, I would just recommend keep it really short. Like make your whole routine 10 minutes, 15 minutes, five minutes, like do something rather than nothing and use it as just an opportunity to connect with yourself. Maybe you connect with yourself in a workout class, but it could be five minutes of like enjoying your coffee and just like putting your phone away and just sitting outside and breathing. Like that could be your morning routine because it's an opportunity to connect with yourself and get to know yourself, your nervous system, your body, um, and kind of like be very intentional moving forward. Mm, 
That makes sense. When you think about your clients that like have just started implementing their new morning routine and nighttime routine, um, they're humming when they feel tigers or, you know, all that stuff. How long does it take your clients typically to start seeing results? Like is nervous system regulation the kind of thing where like most of your clients right away are like, I'm healed or like, is it like, um, like how long usually until they first start to see some sort of result? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think first start to see, like, I think you start to see results relatively quickly um, in that when you get really overwhelmed and you feel anxiety and you start trying to like move and shake that energy off, you're like, oh, I do, I do feel a little better. This is a little easier. So I think they start to see those like little results within a few months, like relatively quickly, depends on like how they actually start putting these things into practice, I think actually shifting your nervous system so that your kind of automatic responses are different, that takes a little bit more time. So that usually takes like, that's why I tend to work with clients on minimum like six month basis, because that's kind of how long I see it taking because your nervous system needs new experiences over and over and over again, before it could be like, okay, it's safe to try a different way. So that repetition is incredibly important. And so, you know, Repetition also requires like certain situations happening. You almost need to get into stressful situations and then be able to handle it differently. And that's kind of a repetition. Um, so it does take a little bit of time. There's this great statistic uh, that I sometimes refer to that talks about how to create a new habit or a new behavior or a new way of being. We really need minimum 300 repetitions. 300 repetitions for it mm-hmm. to start to feel like semi-automatic, like being able to make this different choice, but for this new pattern or way of being to be embodied, meaning that even when you're super overwhelmed and stressed out, that's the thing you go to Mm -hmm. that takes 3000 repetitions. Oh my God. Okay. Okay. (laughs) 3000. So like you might build a morning routine after 300 where you're like, okay, this is, you know, I can wake up and I know to do it, but for you to use like breath work or meditation when you're really overwhelmed and it's like awful and all the old patterns and stories are coming up you really need a lot of repetition for that to be the autopilot setting in those times where you're really really triggered that actually makes me feel a little bit more comforted in a way to know that it takes that many because i feel like i've tried uh breath work i've tried like meditating i've tried certain things in the past and i keep thinking like oh i tried this for like four days in a row and i don't feel anything (laughs) like what gives i guess it just doesn't work for me i'm not one of those people but now I'm like, oh no, like 300, there's 365 days in a year. So like 300 days, like, I mean, not to make it sound like doom and gloomy, but it actually makes me yeah. sound, it, it makes me feel better to know like, oh, I just didn't like give it long enough. It's going to realistically take 300 tries. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because that's how I felt as well. That like, oh, it just takes a lot of repetition. And that makes sense because your current patterns, you've been practicing them for decades. Yeah. You've been repeating them over and over and over for decades, mm-hmm. you know? And so it took a long time to build that. So to build a new pathway, it is going to take a lot of time and a lot of repetition. And every time you choose the other way, you're building up that pattern again, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, that is why it's tricky and that is why it, it takes time. And that's not because our nervous systems are broken. It, it's that way for a good reason. Um, it mm-hmm. helps us survive right? Like things we do over and over, our nervous system remembers and creates that pathway. Just because we did something twice doesn't mean it's like we should be doing it forever now. 
Right. And also just because it takes 300 times, that doesn't mean it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, like 300 in a row. Like you're going to have days probably where you like skip a day. But like what's important is that you if you if you missed number like 153, you at least got it like relatively soon, like the next like you kept going with it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that is the most important part, just to continue the consistency piece. And in the days where you fall off from the practice, I don't think that's like a failure. I actually think that's a really great opportunity to learn, to be like, okay, what got in the way? What made this so difficult? Like those are really to be the points where you get to learn about yourself. And so I actually love those. And I love when people could notice them. And I think most people become ashamed and they kind of just like try to rush past it. And I think that's the biggest mistake. Mm. trying to rush past those points instead of using them as uh, a stepping stone. That makes so much sense. Oh my gosh. Uh, For anyone listening out there, if you want to like track your progress with anything, or if you want to just like do some like self-reflection on that kind of stuff, um, Masha's free downloadable journal, I highly recommend. I downloaded it and I like, I also like sent the link and everything to like all my friends for them to sign up because um, I like, it's the best journaling system I've ever seen. I want you guys to like think of the best journal you've ever used. This one's better than that. I promise you guys, you know why? Because Masha put so much thought into the structure of the questions. Normal journals I've tried, even with the prompts, they're like, one, talk about your goals, two, talk about this, talk about that. They're not related, or maybe they are, but Masha's are in a very clear kind of state of flow where, um, can I give an example for one of them? Yeah, please. Um, I think it was one of your prompts that was so good. It was like like one list, a couple areas where you're making progress, right? That alone is helpful. But two, she uh, the next question she asked you to reflect on like what personal strengths got you to make that progress. And I thought that was so powerful because you implemented like gratitude into there, self-reflection into there. Like you just felt so good getting to that question number two, right? And then as if that wasn't enough, then it made you think forward with question number three, where she was like, now think about how you can use those personal strengths that help you make that progress and now continue to make more progress with it. And I just thought you tied it all together so well. So thank you for that. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. That makes me so, so happy. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have like a real gift with that. Keep making journals for us, please, because I will keep downloading them. Um, Oh, I love that. That's the goal. The goal is to make like a full journal. So one of these days. Yes, yes, please do. Okay, you guys, so Masha and I, like, kind of off air, we just decided we're going to do a part two of this because this conversation is just so good, and I'm just so thankful. Masha, share with everyone where they could sign up to become one of your clients. Yeah, so if you follow me on Instagram, I'm Masha at Masha K, K-A-Y. That's my Instagram handle, and if you're interested in working with me, you could just click the link in my bio, and there will be different options for applying to work with me. And you could also check that out on my website, which is Masha K, Masha M A S H A K A Y dot com. And so you'll see all my offerings for one on one coaching there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Masha. Um, So, yeah, for part two of the next episode, what we have planned, we were originally going to actually all make this one episode, but this was just so good that I was like, okay, they need more of her. Um, So we're going to be discussing workplace toxicity um, and environments. We're going to be discussing decision making and overanalyzing things that I think a lot of young women in healthcare or just like anyone really uh, can identify with. But I think that next conversation is also going to be super helpful. So make sure that you guys tune into that. Otherwise, thank you so much, you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed and I'll see you guys next time. Bye.